All right, I want to continue on our study today in 1 Peter. And uh, I really am enjoying this book. I'm enjoying the study that we're hearing about Peter's life, about his mission, about his testimony, and about what his passion is and how the Holy Spirit is revealing things to him. Today, as we continue to look at chapter 4, we're going to talk about living a life worth dying for. That's what Peter is basically saying here. That we have much to live for based on what we believe is worth dying for. Based upon what I believe is worth dying for is how I live. Interesting concept. Think of it this way. If whatever you're doing with your life isn't worth dying for, then it isn't worth living for. If what you're doing with your life isn't worth dying for, then it's not worth living for. You're wasting your time, basically. Let's read our text. It's 1 Peter chapter 4, starting at verse 1 through 6. In the Living Bible translation, it says, Since Christ suffered and underwent pain, you must have the same attitude he did. You must be ready to suffer too. For remember, when your body suffers, sin loses its power. And you won't be spending the rest of your life chasing after evil desires, but will be anxious to do the will of God. You have had enough in the past of the evil things the godless enjoy. Sex, sin, lust, getting drunk, wild parties, drinking bouts, and the worship of idols and other terrible sins. Of course, your former friends will be very surprised when you don't eagerly join them anymore in the wicked things they do, and they will laugh at you in contempt and scorn. But just remember that they must face the judge of all, living and dead. They will be punished for the way they have lived. That is why the good news was preached even to those who were dead, so that although their bodies were punished with death, they could still live in the spirits as God lives. Let's pray. Father, we honor your word this morning. And we, Lord, we ask you to make it alive to us and bring it new Holy Spirit, give us the revelation that you would have of what you would have us to know today. Help us not to be confused by things we don't understand, but but Lord, clearly, give revelation knowledge. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we spoke of verses 1 and 2. I read them again as backdrop as we get into the rest of this passage I read. But last week, we spoke at great length about learning to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Now, I don't normally say things like this, but I can tell you that that, I believe, is the best message I've ever preached. And if you haven't heard that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message. The Lord really showed me some things last week, I believe, about hating what God hates. I know that we think that God is a God of love because that's what God's word says. God loves. He's a God of love. But God also is a a God that hates certain things. We must understand what God hates because until we clearly understand what he hates, we really can't appreciate what he loves. So I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. The reason that last week's discussion is so important for our lives today, it's only when we hate sin as much as God hates sin. Because that's what God hates. I'm just telling you right now. God loves you, and he loves me, but he hates the sin in me. And he hates the sin in you. Because 
that separates me and you from God. Therefore, he hates it. He, he hates it. I mean, I, we can't stress that enough. As much as we can't stress how much God loves us, we can't stress so much, as much how God hates the sin that separates us from him. Important that we understand that. And until we hate sin as much as God hates sin, it's only when we do does sin lose its power and its grip on us. Because as long as I dabble with sin, as long as I think it's a minor issue in my life, that I have these little things in my life, those little pockets of my life that I allow sin to be in, as long as I continue to have sin in my life, I'm limiting God's ability to bless me. Even to the point where I might even lose my salvation over it, just so you know that. It's that serious. Understand God cannot and will not I should say will not and cannot cohabitate with sin. Can't be there. Cannot cohabitate. The reason God hates sin is because sin is the single thing. That is the thing that destroyed the perfect relationship that man had with God prior to sin coming into the world. We talked at length last week about Adam and Eve being perfect in a perfect environment and how God created perfection for them. Perfect. I mean, it was perfect. It was so perfect that they didn't have to have clothes on. They could, they could, the, the temperature was always perfect. The conditions were awesome. They just were perfect. But they chose a different path. They rejected God and said, it's not good enough, God, because this little serpent here is telling us that you're keeping something from us. And that was sin. That was it. And that opened the, that opened the floodgates. And from then on, we've been rejecting God ever since. Another thing that, another reason that God hates it so much was not only did it reject and hurt God then at that time, that rejection, but here's what makes it worse. The only way that God could recreate or bridge that gap that was created by sin is that he had to send his only son, Jesus, to die and to suffer and to pay a huge price because we chose sin. Does that help you understand why God hates sin a little bit? Not only did it hit, hurt him at the time, personally, the rejection of it all, but then he had to send Jesus. And Jesus changed forever to be in the form of a man. Forever he will have the nail scars in his wrist and in his feet and the spear in his side forever because he, that's the price he had to pay because of man's choice to sin. Therefore, God hates sin. He can't play with it like you and I think we can play with it. Very important. We must understand and apply God's desires so that we don't allow sin to be the, the master of our life or to even be a play agent with us, the, a playground agent. We can just go and play with them when we want to and put them back in the box later when we want to. We, we can't do that. When we get this, we will find that this is living the life worth dying for. That's what we're talking about. When we live the life as Christ did so that our life is worth dying for as his was, then we're finally getting it, and we're on track, and we're on the narrow road. So let's pick up our study in verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3. 
You have had enough in the past of the evil things that godless enjoy, sex, sin, lust, getting drunk, wild parties, drinking bouts, and the worship of idols, and other terrible sins. Now, we could spend a lot of time here going into detail of each one of these sins. We could go in and describe the detail about everything. But, you know, I don't think that's necessary today. And I don't want to take the time to go in and give sin that much credit and that much time and that much glory. I think that you all are smart enough to know the areas in your life that you need to deal with. There are some things in your life that you know are sin and that are not right. And that you are smart enough to know what God thinks about that. But even though we're not going to dig into this list, it's vital, though, that Peter and all the other writers of the New Testament go into great detail so that we know for sure that God is serious about sin. That God makes it very clear. There is no confusion in God's word about sin and what he thinks of it. God's word's clear on it, that especially what he expects of those that profess to have a relationship with his son, he expects some things out of them based upon that profession of faith. If you profess to be a Christ follower, then there are some things you need to do to prove your followership. He expects that of us. When we move from Savior to Lord, Savior is a saving agent. Lordship is an ownership agent. When I make him my Lord, I'm saying I no longer am owner of myself. You are my owner, Lord, because you're the Lord of my life. There is no reason that we allow sin, and sin has no place in our life anymore because we've given Christ lordship. There will be no man, there will be no excuse that any man will have when they stand before God because God's word wasn't clear enough. That's why these lists are made. And that's why we need to read them and understand them and how they apply to our life. Let me ask you the question, do you, think, do you think that Jesus could be, or do you think he ever was frustrated? Does God ever get frustrated? Kind of an interesting question, isn't it, to think about God getting frustrated. Do you understand what it's like to be frustrated with people in your life? How many times have you given good instruction to your children? Scott, how many times have you given good instruction to your horses and they haven't listened to your instructions? Do you ever, you ever, do you ever get frustrated with your horse? <laughs> Daily. <laughs> I mean, people know better. Our children know better. We've told them over and over and over again and they still continue to do the same old things. It gets us frustrated. Because they know better, but yet they still choose to do things that are disobedient. How frustrating is that? You see, if I can get frustrated with that, I think Jesus can get, get frustrated with that in my life. He's given me clear direction, clear word about how I should live, about what I should do, about what I shouldn't do. And then when he sees me walking my own path, can you not see the frustration that must come his way, thinking, I'm telling them what they should be doing, and it's only for their good. I'm only telling them, no, don't do that because it's going to hurt you if you do. I'm not trying to take away their pleasure. I'm not trying to take away the joy of living. I'm trying to give them a full abundance of living if they would only listen and only apply. And so he's up there thinking, guys, follow my path. The, the word says, if you love me, you'll obey me. So love me and obey me, and I will give you a full life. 
And then when we choose, like Adam did, we choose the other way, we reject him, he must look at it and say, oh, man, guys, come on. You're frustrating me. <laughs> this drives the point home, basically, about what Christianity is all about. A person's desire to love and serve God through a relationship, not religion, but a relationship with Jesus provide, that he provided on the cross. And then it's an intentional and a determined life discipline to please God as Jesus did. That's basic Christianity. Accepting the fact that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and then taking a disciplined lifestyle to please God thereafter as Jesus pleased God. That's basically what Christianity is. If our life's purpose is anything short of this statement, then we must recognize that we're not on the right path. See, if we think that somehow God is going to be pleased with a compromised position on hating sin and allowing sinful behavior to exist in the corners of our life, then we're woefully wrong. God is not going to be pleased with a person that plays with something that he hates. When I allow it in my life and I think it's a little pet, and I think I can control it. And I think, and I give it a little pet name, and so it's just my Irish temper. It's just the way I am. God's frustrated because he's saying, it's not the way I created you to be. It's what you're choosing that is far short of what I've intended you to be. So our life purpose is to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Ask yourself the question, Am I living a life according to God's word and God's desires for me that's worth dying for? Am I living a life according to God's word that I'm willing to die for? So Peter's saying, okay, guys, let's see what that means. What is it? He says, you've wasted a lot of precious time in the past. You've already wasted a lot of time in your life doing all the things that sinners have done. Now you've chosen Christ you're living a life pleasing to the Lord. You've repented. You're living a life of daily repentance. You're trusting Jesus with all of that he, that he gives us with his, the blood that covers our sin. Now here's the challenge. You're living that way. Here's the challenge. Are you willing to invest as much time in your future doing the good things as you did in the past doing the bad things? <laughs> You had a lot of fun. Spent a lot of time with your buddies, messing around, drinking, carousing, getting into trouble. Spent a lot of time, put a lot of effort into that. Now, are you willing to take that kind of time and effort to live right? It's basically what he's asking us. Are you willing to change your lifestyle? Are you willing to live now a life that's worth living, that's worth dying for, basically doing the good things? Now, you, you're saying, Mike, well, you mean, are you saying that this is a way to make up lost time? Well, I'm not sure. Maybe. You can take that any way you want to take it, I guess. Other, other than you can never think that by doing enough good things, you're going to earn your salvation. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. Your salvation is only through Jesus Christ. It's only through the shed blood of Christ, and it's a free gift. But now that you have that, what are you doing with it? That's the question. Are you living your life after day one to live a life that is worth dying for for Jesus after that? That's, that's the question. We're given a limited amount of time in this life, and we've wasted enough of it doing stuff that was of no value. 
Now, what are you doing with it the rest of the time that's going to bring value, eternal value? Are we really living a life now worth dying for? That's the question. It, there's a, it's, a, it's an issue of priority. It's an issue of what is our priority from here on out when it comes to living a life of uh, productivity, a living a life of uh, sin-free, recognizing that we are in control of sin. Sin is not in control of us. I am control. I am in control of the sin in my life. I am. It's my choice. Paul talks about it to the book, in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. Again, in a Living Bible translation, Paul says, Do not let sin control your puny body any longer. Do not give in to its sinful desires. Do not let any part of your bodies become tools of wickedness to be used for sinning, but give yourselves completely to God, every part of you, for you are back from death and you want to be tools in the hands of God to be used for His good purposes. Yeah, your work now is going to be meaningful because you're going to be used to do what God wants you to do for God's good purposes. Verse 14, sin need never again be your master. For now you are no longer tied to the law where sin enslaves you, but you are free under God's favor and mercy. Paul's making the strong case here that for the believer, sin is under your control. You are no longer a slave to sin. And now your future is in your hands. Your choices are in, it's, it's all about what you're going to do. He mentions in verse 15 that we are free under God's uh, mercy and his favor and maybe a word called grace. Man, talk about a word that's powerful and so many times misunderstood. Grace. We are free. We live under the grace of God. Well, we're going to learn more about what that means, to live under the grace of God. Paul has to clarify this a little bit. He, con he continues on in verse 15. He says, Okay, now that we live under free, under, under, we're free under God's favor and His mercy and His grace, verse 15 says, does this mean that now we can go ahead and sin and not worry about it? For our salvation does not depend on keeping the law, but on receiving God's grace, right? But then Paul gives the answer, of course not. <laughs> of course not. Just because once you're freed from sin, you have no right to dabble in it again. You are not bound by it. Once you're free from it, you have no business going back there and looking at it. You have no business going back there and playing with it. Why would you want to play with something that, was in, that you were in bondage to? This doesn't make any sense. And Paul continues on in verse 16. Don't you realize that you can choose your own master? You can choose sin with death or else obedience with acquittal. The one to whom you offer yourself, he will take you and be your master and you will be his slave. Thank God that though you once chose to be slaves of sin, now you have obeyed with all your heart the teaching to, God, to which God has committed you. And now you are free from your old master, sin. And you have become slaves to your new master, righteousness. Amen. That's a good thing to be slaves to. That's a good thing. <laughs> But, you know, in the world, they don't understand it that way. The worldly perspective doesn't understand what it is to be free to righteousness. They think righteousness is boring. 
they think righteousness is you're a stick in the mud, you're an old-fashioned geezer, you, you can't get along, you can't move into our society, you, you are totally irrelevant to the, uh, to the morality of 2017. And how wrong are they? I mean, God's morality doesn't change, and neither does his consequences. Uh, righteousness brings freedom. Righteousness really brings freedom from guilty consciences and, and all the, the, the consequences that come with immorality. It's a good thing to be a slave to righteousness. But the world doesn't get it. John 14, 17, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and he will, he will be with you. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Imagine, imagine a man's drowning and he's out in the middle of the deep water, going down for the last time, and somebody throws him a life ring. And he says, I don't want that. I don't need that. That's foolishness to me. What a foolish man that he would give up the life ring of salvation. And that's exactly what the cross is. But the world sees it as foolishness. But we who have the, cro the, the cross, we look at that and say, thank you, Jesus, for throwing the life ring. Thank you, Father, for giving me that, that freedom that comes from salvation. Thank you, Father. And what happens when people don't understand something like salvation, it scares them. And when they are fearful of something that they, that they don't understand, they will either totally ignore it, thinking it'll go away, or they'll ridicule it, thinking they can bring it down to their level of understanding. See, the people of the world that you, that you used to be a part of, they just won't understand you anymore. We talked about it in Sunday school, right, Calvin? Your old friends, they don't understand you anymore because you're not what they used to be. You're not, you're not what you used to be when they knew you a bunch of years ago. They don't understand you. And they will either ridicule you or hate you. But Jesus says in John, John chapter 15, 18 and, 9, 18 and 19, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is not, as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. You're not going to be the most popular dude anymore. Know it. Wear that as a banner of God's love over you. Yeah. So what do you do about it? What do you do about that? Do you reject those people? Or do you love them the way God loves them? Yeah. See, this is where we get confused. Some people think that, well, because I have to move out of that old lifestyle, now I am going to totally disconnect from my old friends and have nothing to do with them. Well, let me just say, for a season of time, that's probably the best thing to do. If you've been in bondage, if you've been struggling with alcohol or sexual addictions or anything of that nature, uh, then probably after you get saved, the best thing to do is totally avoid anything like that. Yes, you're a baby Christian. You wouldn't put a baby child in with a lion. No, you would put him in a petting zoo first <laughs> with, leap, with, with lambs and sheep and things that are not going to hurt them. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't do that to your child, and God's not going to do it to you. So you're a baby Christian. So yeah, there's a, part, a period of time in your life where you avoid anything that way. But as you grow up and as you mature, you have to get back into society so that you can be a light to a dark world. 
And so there comes a time when you're strong enough that the Lord will say, okay, now go back in, but be what I want you to be there. Don't come down to their level anymore, but you be the light of Christ in that dark world so that they can see somebody that's changed. They can see somebody that has used to be like them, but is no longer like them, and so now you can be an example to them how you can change and how, really, and how you can enjoy the change. You don't go in there with a sorrowful look on your face and say, how, look how happy I am and you're miserable. No, you go back with the joy of the Lord. You go back and have fun, and they're suffering and their sin, and you're having fun in your righteousness. And they will look at you and say, what's different about you? And all of a sudden now you've got an opening. So you don't avoid them. You just make sure that when you go, that, when you go back into that, that you're not lowering your standards to be one of the boys again. No, you're keeping your standards like Christ was. It's a good thing. Living in the world is not something that we can eliminate. We have to be in the world. We're just not of the world. You can't avoid it. It's in your job. It's in your school. It's every place you go. You can't avoid it. But what you have to be careful of is that you do not get wrapped back up in it. Romans 12, 2, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. You think. Your mind. You control what you think. You control it through the renewing of of the power of the Holy Spirit, not, not yourself. It, it's, it's the Holy Spirit getting in, helping you renew your mind so that you don't have to get wrapped back up into the stuff that was. And when you do that, it says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His perfect and good and pleasing will. Man, God's got so many things for us. If we would just take our minds and give it to Him. Give it to Him. We need to make Him Lord of our life. We need to make him the fact that we're going to give ownership to him. And when that lordship is a process of daily discipline. It's a daily surrender. It's a daily act of submission to his plan, not my plan. I need to continue to live that way on a regular basis. James, the half-brother of Christ, gave us a very direct statement on how we deal with the world and everything that it represents. James chapter 4, verse 4. It says, don't you realize that making friends with God's enemies, which is the world, the evil pleasures of this world, makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If your aim is to enjoy the evil pleasure of the unsaved world, you cannot also be a friend of God. So again, the Bible is very clear. There's nothing confusing here. You can't combine the two. I don't, and why should you want to, in all honesty? Let's make it, let's make it basic Christianity. When I am a slave of righteousness, I don't want to mix myself with dirt anymore. I don't want to go back into that slavery of sin anymore. It's a consistent theme in Scripture that we are to love what God loves and hate what God hates. We are to love people, but we are not to tolerate unconfessed sin and friendship in a world of unconfessed sin. So what did Jesus do? How did Jesus do this? Jesus mingled with people. He developed good relationships with people of the world so that he could be a positive influence on their life. Understand, when he went into the, when he went into the, the, the uh, sinners' homes and the publicans and the sinners and the tax collectors, he wasn't going down there to be one of the boys. He wasn't going down there so, so they could pat him on the back and say, oh man, you're a great guy, Jesus, let's go out party some more. No, he went down there to raise the standards of what it means to live a righteous life. He went, he went in that world because he had to be of that world, but not, he had to be in the world, but not of the world. He had to go down there and show them there's a better way. And that's exactly the way we are. 
We're to go into the world that we live in on a regular basis, the dark and confused world that it is, not to be one of the boys, not to hang out with the guys and be accepted, but to be strong enough to be different in love, loving the people, hating the sin, loving them enough to tell them the truth, loving them enough to show character of our life before them. Yeah. Jesus prayed that way for his disciples. John chapter 17, beginning at verse 14. I have given them your word. This is Jesus saying, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer, this is Jesus' prayer, is, he's talking to his father, is not that you take my disciples, take them out of the world. Don't take them out of the world, Father, but that you protect them from the evil one in the midst of the world. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. So God's plan is not to remove you from the influences of the world, but it's to make you strong so that you can be a good example in the influence of the world and raise the standards to God's level of thinking. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. We show our love for God by obeying His commandments, and they are not hard to follow. Every child of God can defeat the world. Do you know that? Every child, that's you and me, every child of God can defeat the world. And our faith is what gives us the victory. No one can defeat the world without having faith in Jesus as the Son of God. It's as we put, in, as, as, as we put Christ as our center point, as we put Christ at the point of our life, we can defeat the world. Now, understand here that our victory over the temptations of this world is not because of a self-help sermon we might hear. Because if it's about a self-help sermon, basically what that means, a self-help message would indicate that we don't need Christ. A self-help says you can do it on your own. You don't need Christ. You just do it on your own. Well, that's foolishness. Our victory over the world comes through our faith in Christ as it's applied in the shed blood of Christ over our life and that how we are willing thereafter to prove it by obeying God, by obeying Christ through a confession of His mercy and His grace. Yeah. Now, it may not seem at the moment that the cost of remaining a friend of the world would be very high or very much because, you know, God's judgment doesn't come very, very quickly much anymore. It used to come maybe quicker in Old Testament times and maybe even early church times with Ananias and Sapphira. They lied, they died. Okay, well, it doesn't happen that way to us right now. So you may, you may have the feeling that you can get in and play the game and maybe you're going to get away with it. But I just want you to know that Peter says no. <laughs> First Peter chapter 4, verse 5, the next verse in our text. But just remember that they, whose they, the world, must face the judge of all, living and dead. They will be punished for the way they have lived. Basically, Galatians chapter 6 and 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. It's very clear. You want eternal life? Then you've got to live like it now. <laughs> you've got to live it right now if you want it then. You can't play the games of the world and think you're going to get it later if that's not what you're sowing. You're going to reap what you sow. Jackie, would you come? So you choose today. You choose, what do you want him to say about your life? What do you want God to say about your life? 
1 Peter chapter 4, verse 6. That is why the good news was preached even to those who were dead, so that although their bodies were punished with death, they could still live in their spirit as God lives. What this is saying is that those that have died in Christ, yes, their body is dead, but their spirit is alive and will be forever and ever because of the gospel message that they received. See, don't fear man. The worst a man can do to you is take your life. So what? If you're a Christian, you're in heaven. Why would you fear that? Don't fear what man can say to you. They're nothing. They can ridicule you because you live differently. They can ridicule you because you're a goody two-shoes. They can ridicule you because you don't drink, you don't smoke, you don't party, you don't do this, you don't do that. So what? The reason they're doing it is because they want to be like you and they don't know how to. They're seeing something in you that they really admire, but it scares them. They're intimidated by it. So they'll ridicule you and they'll try to bring you down because they want to be comfortable in your presence because the presence of Jesus makes sin uncomfortable. Just so you know that. But don't waver. Don't give in to that. Be who Christ has called you to be in that dark world so that we can do the inner city things here in our community. So that when we go out into our communities across here in the next few weeks and months, that we can be as Jesus wants us to be and we can be a light in this world and this place will fill up with godly people. I believe, God, as we are on the cusp of something great. I really believe that. As tough as it is, as sparse as it may be sometimes, I believe that God has got us right where he wants us if we're willing to trust him in it and live out the character of Jesus in our life and then go into this world and do what we're asked to do. Let him do the work. He'll fill a place up, not to our glory, but to his glory. Because he'll be victorious in the lives of people that are going to hell and they will be saved as we are obedient. So this morning, Philippians chapter 3, 10 and 11, Paul says he had the right attitude when he wrote to the believers in Philippi. He says, now I have given up everything else. I have found it to be the only way to really know Christ and to experience the mighty power that brought him back to life again and to find out what it means to suffer and to die with him. So whatever it takes... Whatever it takes, I will be the one who lives in the fresh newness of life of those who are alive from the dead. In other words, I don't care the cost. Paul says, I don't care how much it costs me. I am going to live for Jesus because I know my eternity is based on that. That's fresh. That's new life. So this morning, can we say the same things? Can we be as Peter and Paul? And can we live our life living it like it's worth dying for this morning? Where are you at in your life? Would you close your eyes with me Would we pray? As you're, as you're examining your life, the problem is many churchgoers that profess to be followers of Christ really haven't given everything. They've just added Jesus to the list of things they do. But they really haven't given up those things. They're just adding Christ to it. Well, according to what we've just read here and gone through God's word, it's clear that God doesn't compromise that way. He's not looking at just being part of the list. He wants to be the list. He wants to be the top of the things on the list. If I can't give up everything else to serve Jesus... 
that I'm not living a life worth dying for. It's not hard, but it takes discipline, it takes commitment, it takes intentional resolve to trust God with everything in my life. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be opened up to your examination time right now. That we would examine our hearts today. Lord, we love you. We really do. But God, is there some things in my life that are just not lining up? Are there some areas that I'm continuing to give in to that I need to put away and let them die? In fact, I need to intentionally kill them in my life. That sin, that little thing I play with. Can I see how much you hate it? Can I see how serious it is that I continue to play with it and dabble in it and how that's robbing me of eternal life and blessings for sure? This morning as we prepare for communion, I want to open the communion table up for all of us. It has nothing to do with your membership here. It's everything to do with your love with Jesus and your forgiveness. This is a beautiful time for us to examine our life and share in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus by sharing in the communion table. So all you need to do is make sure that your heart's right with the Lord. Holy Spirit, we just give you the permission to convict, to lead us, not to condemn us, but to convict us of the things that we need to change. Would you forgive us of our sin? Would you forgive us of our failure? And can we start to see that our life must change to live a life that truly is worth dying for? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know, the danger of having open communion. And I will just be honest with you. The danger of doing this is because when everybody comes up, it just makes it seem like it's safe. But can I tell you the significance and the seriousness that if you truly haven't done this, don't do it. Don't come up with the crowd because everybody's doing it because that will bring dam damnation to your soul. So this morning, I would invite you, I would hope and I would trust that everyone in this building today, their heart is right with the Lord. You've asked for forgiveness and you're ready to celebrate the, the communion table. And if you are, would you come up here with us and let's celebrate this, but make sure that your heart's right with the Lord this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Come up if you'd like. Would you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. Praise your name. Praise your name. Amen. Just help yourself. Take a cracker and a cup of juice. And recognize the significance, the joy of what's set before us right now. Thanks, Lawrence. Do you know there's coming a day, maybe sooner than what we anticipate, that Jesus will one more time take the cup of the juice, of the fruit of the vine, and the bread of life, 
and he will serve us. Do you know that? Right now, we're taking this on our own, and we're doing this in celebration and honoring the life of Christ. But there's coming a time when he's going to serve us. Do you know what that means? Do you know the significance of Jesus at that great feast? When all the world and Jesus comes up and he says, I want to serve you communion today. And I want to break bread with you today. Can you imagine that moment in time? Can you imagine the power of that? Oh, it's a great thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it talks to us about communion. It says in verse 23, For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <laughs> Amen. We're celebrating something that's going to be coming here real soon, we hope. We don't know what the future holds, but it could be real soon, or your personal rapture could be even sooner. We don't know. But I guarantee you, you will see a rapture. One of the two, you'll see it. Celebrating it. Would you hold up the cracker? Father, we just look at this cracker as broken as it is and as imperfect as, it, as this cracker is, Lord, and we look, recognize that that is what our life is, imperfect and broken, and how you, Father, have just made us whole, how you put all the pieces back together and how you rough out all the, you smooth out all the rough edges because of the blood of Christ. We take this cracker now, and as we, as we partake together, we thank you for what it means and how you broke your body for us. In Jesus' name, would you partake of the cracker? Thank him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the, the penalty that you paid on my behalf. Thank you for the ultimate sacrifice. Take the cup in your hand and look at the juice and see, recognize that that signifies the blood of Christ. Blood is life. Blood is life. As, as the blood of Jesus flowed out of his body onto that dry ground that day, what that did is that it planted life in all of us because that seed died so that it could resurrect in us. And the blood of Jesus now lives, covers us so that when God looks down upon us from heaven today, he doesn't see the sin in Mike. He doesn't see the sin in your life. No, he sees the shed blood of Christ over you that makes you holy and righteous. And that makes you the slave to righteousness that we can be because of the blood of Christ. Powerful. Powerful. Amen. Father, as we hold this cup up in our hand today, we recognize your authority and your power. And we thank you for all of the things you've given to us. We thank you for how you've covered our, covered our life, protected us in many times that we've been wandered off the path. And God, I pray that the blood of Christ would keep us pure before you now. We thank you for your forgiveness. We celebrate one more time. Until we see you again in heaven, we celebrate this. We do this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you drink the cup with me, please? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father.
Amen. Thank you, Jesus. victory in our life. We celebrate with you now in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for all that you've done and continue to do in our hearts and our lives. Lord, help us to be faithful to you as we go out this day. Help us to live this life tomorrow through Saturday just like it's today. Help us not to change one bit in our devotion and our commitment to you. Help us to live this out on a daily basis. We commit our lives to you today. We surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today.